You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, disciple-making fanatics, welcome to the podcast today. Very, very good to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman completing all their powers is in the spiritual fight. And right now today, somewhere, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, it's so great to have you on the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast today. Uh, A lot going on in the world right now, but I got to tell you, Sometimes I get wrapped up a little bit in my life and kind of get excited about one or two of the things I'm doing uh, or the Lord happens to be doing, perhaps through me, perhaps in me. Today, I was just writing a paper for an academic conference that's coming up in November. So I'm just thinking, well, what do I need to do? And let me get into this topic. And the topic happens to be about a classic uh, written by a guy named John Wesley called A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. But one of the reasons he began writing that book is because uh, he had some hymns he wanted to include by his brother, Charles. And then he and Charles started having a little difficulty over the concept. And because there was a little bit of confusion between what's happening between John and Charles, well, John felt I need to write this book. So having said all that, I just got into a book by Charles Wesley. And I may highly recommend this book to you. It's written back in 2007, so it's been some time now, but uh, John Tyson wrote a book called Assist Me to Proclaim. It's called The Life and Hymns of Charles Wesley. Now, I have just found myself, as I get older, uh, found myself more and more in love with old stuff. Now, I got to tell you, I cut my teeth on the Jesus movement back in the 70s and guys like Larry Norman. I mean, now some of you have no idea who Larry Norman is, but he was a long, blonde guy, long hair, uh, kind of like to look a bit like a hippie and saying uh, he, he was a first Christian rocker or the first Christian rocker that anybody knew about. And so I kind of cut my teeth on that guy and that whole movement, the Jesus movement, the Hollywood free paper. I don't know if anybody remembers that, the the Jesus movement, uh, Explo 72, all kinds of things. So I'm... That, that's, that's what I grew out of. But the longer I'm interested in things like music, uh, I have found myself getting, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it fuddy-duddy. I just like old stuff and old hymns and old poetry. Now, to be sure, when we're talking about old hymns, one of the things we're talking about is indeed poetry. I mean, this is what, the, you know, guy like Charles Wesley, he wasn't a guy that knew all that much about music so much as he knew about poetry and how to put words together. And so he did that and anticipated other people would put tunes to it. So I'm just, I've been fascinated by that. And every morning when I wake up, before I have my devotions, actually I conclude this part of my devotions, I usually and typically will sing either a metrical psalm In other words, psalms that are put to meter that you can put tunes to, old hymn tunes to, or I will sing a Charles Wesley hymn. And I just love to start my day that way, just singing. Now, it doesn't have to be, 
Charles Wesley hymn doesn't have to be a metrical psalm. I just think it's great if you can sing, and even if you can't, just to sing anyway and just let your heart be caught up in joyful and uplifting. And from my perspective, I like something that's deep, makes me think a little bit. Now, to be sure, as I've been listening to music my whole life, I haven't usually been caught up in the meaning of lyrics. In fact, I've noticed even... Uh, I think last month I was the thing, man, I love that old song from the 70s. Then all of a sudden dawned on me, oh my goodness, that's a terrible thing. I mean, I've been singing the words my whole life and never really thought about what the words were. That's possible to do. It's also possible to sing a hymn and have your mind engaged and you can allow Jesus to take you into a deeper discipled life simply by your thinking as you are singing. And then that's a powerful combo making music, singing as you're thinking through the lyrics that you're singing. So we're going to get to all that here in just a moment. We're going to get back to that because I want to get more into this book, Assist Me to Proclaim, The Life and Hymns of Charles Wesley, written by a guy named John Tyson. And he's got a great chapter in there about the poet laureate of the Methodist movement. And I think you'll find it fascinating as well. And so we're going to be back right after this. I want you all to go to a website called 5qdiscipleship.com. That's the number 5qdiscipleship.com. And I want you to sign up for the quick start guide to 5q discipleship. We've got a method that we use and we tout on this program, uh, the life-changing discipleship program called the 5q method of discipleship. It's a book. You need to go get the book. You can go to amazon.com and just Type in the 5Q method of disruption or type in my name, Matt Friedemann, and get the volume. And it talks about five questions you can ask as you are going through a discipleship meeting. And I highly recommend these questions because they're going to get you into scripture. They're going to get you into worship. They're going to get you into thanksgiving and testimony. They're going to get you into changing your life and it gets you into praying for one another, those of you who are in that group. By the way, it's not a bad way to spend a discipleship devotional time either. Every morning you can wake up and work through those steps with a passage of Scripture. So we highly recommend the 5qdiscipleship.com website because you can get the quick start guide there. And again, uh, if you can go there uh, and, and reserve that uh, number of pages for yourself. Uh, I think you would very much appreciate also the book, The 5Q Method of Discipleship. Now, I, I do want to say there is a new volume out, just out, just this week called The New Discipleship in the Home. You know, I've written a book called Discipleship in the Home. Well, there's now the new discipleship in the home. Added some chapters, added some perspectives, updated it somewhat, and I think you will very much appreciate the new discipleship in the home. All right? So let's get back here to our topic for the day, and that is discipleship and music, more particularly discipleship and a guy named Charles Wesley. There's this book written by Charles, John Tyson, Assist Me to Proclaim. And in this volume, he has chapter 16, which talks about the poet laureate of the Methodist movement, the guy named Charles Wesley. Now, John Wesley is the more famous of the two. And famous because he, his preaching, his ideas sparked this Methodist movement, this Methodist revival 
of the 18th century. And of course, eventually he sends a guy over to America called Francis Asbury. And Francis Asbury basically blew it up over here uh, for Methodism and for the evangelical movement in America. I mean, all kinds of really exciting things. Lesser known, but still incredibly valuable to all of us, even today, is a guy named Charles Wesley. And he basically, he was apparently a formidable preacher himself, so he could preach. He found out pretty early in the movement, though, sometime in the 1750s, his health really wasn't as vigorous as John Wesley's health. And he was married, so he had a marriage to attend to. So he started staying home and writing a lot more hymns. When I say a lot more, <laughs> let me just say this. I mean a lot more. Uh, Charles Wesley composed more than nine thousand hymns and sacred poems that amounts to on an average a hymn a day every day for 25 years of his adult life one hymn a day for 25 and when you look at these things you think how do you come up with that stuff how do you do that how do you rhyme stuff like that how do you put these kinds of theological perspectives together now this was enmeshed in his you know, tasks of an itinerant ministry and a growing family. And again, sometime in the 1750s, he slowed down some of that traveling. But nonetheless, it's this, this is incredible, incredible thought that this guy was able to write a hymn every day for 25 years, voluminous production. And what's really amazing is 400 different Charles Wesley hymns continue in modern Christian hymnals. 400. We, you know, I, I bragged to my kids, you know, my millennial kids. I said, listen, uh, what, what's amazing is you guys are so amazed that a song is still being sung five years later. And I, I will brag to them, these 70 songs that I grew up singing, they're still being sung today all the way into the 2020s of the next millennium. Take that. 50 years later, they're still singing our baby boomer songs. That's the 70s. Can you imagine writing a song in, oh, I don't know, 1760 and having it sung by hundreds of thousands of people all over the world on a given Sunday today? I mean, this guy was amazing. So let's talk about that and see what we can learn from it. Again, from the book uh, by John Tyson, Assist Me to Proclaim. One of the things I've often wondered is the songs that are written today and that we sing on Sunday morning, I, you know, I've got a church that sings contemporary songs. I've often wondered as I'm sing, singing these songs or I'm going down the road and listening to a Christian radio station, I, I'm hearing these songs. I say, who are these people who are writing these songs? Who are they? Are they theologically attuned? Are they theologically clueless? Do they know Hebrew? Do they know Greek? Is there anybody in the publisher's house that's actually doing this music? Is there any expert checking their lyrics to make sure they're spot on biblically? And I think I know the answers to most of those questions. Charles Wesley was a talented biblical exegete. That is, he was well-schooled in biblical texts and original languages, he edited and corrected his brother John's notes upon the Old and New Testaments. So he was smart enough to look at 
one of the most brilliant minds of his day and say, I see something that needs corrected. His study and his application of the Bible in his poetry was not just limited to, to the King James Version of the Bible, which, by the way, was all the rage back then, or the Book of Common Prayer or recent commentaries. Guys like Matthew Henry was uh, someone. He didn't just do that, just didn't read those, didn't just use those. What he did was he went back to the Greek New Testament, for instance, and he would see something like, hmm, I see a difficult biblical passage here in Philippians 2.7. There is a word there that the King James Version seems to be stepping back from. And the words, as far as we can tell, translated straight up into the English is, he emptied himself. Remember that great passage of Philippians 2? Emptied himself, or he became nothing. So the translators of the King James Version, again, the standard translation of Wesley's day, avoided the bold simplicity of Paul, which was, I'm using this word kenosis, which means emptying, the King James Version decided to go all poetic with it. And by the way, Charles Wesley was a poet, so I, I get going poetic on things. The King James Version said he made himself of no reputation, took the form of a servant. Well, it's almost like the King James guys wanted to avoid the scandalous phrasing of the Greek words emptying or became nothing, because those are kind of radical terms. So what happened here was Charles Wesley, because he knew Greek, he knew Hebrew, he went back into the Greek and he said, wow, we can do better than that. And so, and by the way, most modern translations have done better than that. But he goes in, he says, let's, uh, let's use this passage, but this is how we're going to use it. He left his throne above, emptied of all but love. Whom the heavens cannot contain, God vouchsafed a worm to appear, Lord of glory, son of man, poor and vile and abject here. <laughs> so Charles Wesley looked at, this, looked at the King James Version and says, you know, that won't do. He made himself of no reputation, took the form of a servant. Let me, let me look at that and see if we can't punch it up a little bit. And boy, did he ever. I'm going to read that to you again. He left the throne above, emptied of all but love, whom the heavens cannot contain, God vouchsafed a worm to appear. By the way, you could find that other places like in the Psalms. Lord of glory, son of man, poor and vile and abject here. Yes, <laughs> Charles Wesley, he looked down at kenosis, and he says, that's a scandalous word, just like Paul meant for it to be. And we're going to return to the plain meaning of the Greek New Testament. And boy, did he ever do that. Now, what I love about Charles Wesley is approach to the Bible was essentially Christ-centered. It mattered not where the Bible passage began. When he began to expose it for what it was worth, he always seemed to find a Christ-centered focus. And he wanted that Christ-centered focus to preach what he thought Jesus was preaching, and that is full salvation. 
Not just that you started salvation, that you became entire, you became complete, you became mature through whatever passage he was dealing with. So he tended to what they call evangelize the Old Testament. And he treated it as though it were contemporary with Jesus and the New Testament church. Now, instead of paraphrasing the Old Testament like, you know, a guy like Isaac Watts would do, who was, again, another incredible hymn writer. Charles Wesley would poetically restructure the passage according to this theological agenda, that is, Christ-centered and always moving towards justification and sanctification. So he had a, uh, he decided, I'm going to write about Jericho, the taking of Jericho, which he based on Joshua 6. And he decided, you know, this text seems to have something in it that we need to go ahead and expose to all the world. And so what he said was, the pagan citadel becomes a stronghold within the strength of inbred sin. And he plays off of Joshua, which if you know, Joshua and Jesus stem from the same Hebrew root words. So Joshua becomes Jesus. And so there's a new captain called Joshua slash Jesus that leads an assault against the citadel of sin, the unregenerate human heart. And uh, it has 18 verses. So we're not going to go through all 18 verses. We're going to go through one. And that is verse 16. And it goes like this. Actual and inbred sin shall feel thy two-edged sword. The city is, with all therein, devoted to the Lord. Thy word cannot be broke. Thou will thine arm display. Thou wilt with one continual stroke our sin forever slay. In other words, Joshua, Jesus, and his army, the church, fully intended to evangelize their world by going after actual and inbred sin with a two-edged sword to slay that sin forever. Oh my goodness. So this incredible, incredible, incredible hymn becomes something more than you might see if you're just reading it in Joshua 6. Now, he was well conscious of his theological tendency for looking beneath the literal surface of the Bible's text to find what he called this precious mine below. Now, not all of his poetry did he intend to be sung, but he wrote some things to kind of prove a point. And so this, uh, this little verse of a hymn we're going to read to you here was based on Isaiah 29, 11. Good example of his awareness of the interpretive process And it goes like this, proud learning boasts its skill in vain. So what he's going to do here is he's going to criticize the proud and superficial learning, which is unable to discern even the foundational themes of Scripture. So he says, okay, I'm going after the proud and the superficial learning guys right now. Proud learning boasts its skill in vain. The sacred oracles to explain. It may the literal surface show, but not the precious mine below. You see what he just said? He says, there's almost always a precious mine below the literal surface of Scripture. There is something beneath, and that thing that is beneath is typically Jesus, the Lamb of God. 
I'm going to keep, keep. So not the precious mind below. Back to the hymn here. The saving sense seems uh, remains concealed till by the spirit of faith revealed. The book is still unread, unknown, and opened by the Lamb alone. What he's saying there is you need to study the Bible with Jesus. And if you do it with Jesus, he will open up the precious mind below the words. So this is just what he wanted to do is make sure we're getting to the depths and the depths is virtually always Jesus. Now, one of the things, and by the way, the reason you would do such a thing is because of the gospel of Luke. Remember, after Jesus is risen, he's on the road to Emmaus with a couple guys, and they're discussing things, and he begins with Moses and all the prophets, and he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scriptures concerning himself Jesus. Can you do that with Leviticus? Yes. Can you do that with Deuteronomy? Yes. Can you do that with Joshua 6? Charles Wesley said, yes, you can, and yes, you should. Now, part of that was he also had a talent for taking a familiar passage and changing its context or blending it with another passage just to make it fresh, to make it alive in the imagination of the reader. So this, this is one of the most beautiful things I think I've, I've ever read. Um, this mournful call of Matthew 27, 25. Now, do you remember Matthew 27? Uh, obviously, you're at the very end of Matthew, and you're at a place where things... Uh, Things are hard. Things are difficult. Obviously, you know there's a resurrection there, and and obviously you know that. Uh, but that's that's yet to come. Jesus is risen in twenty eight. In twenty seven, you've got the soldiers mocking Jesus. You've got the crucifixion of Jesus. You got the death of Jesus. And uh, right before the soldiers start mocking Jesus, this passage: When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead of uh, an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Now we're down to Matthew 27, 25. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Are there any more horrifying words than that? And this is what Charles Wesley said. Of that horrific verse, Matthew 27, 25, his blood will be upon us and upon our children. Now, in that biblical context, it's the rejection of Jesus in the strongest possible language you can imagine. But with Charles Wesley's poetical imagination, he says, ah, this is the best of prayers, rightly understood. The shout of derision was transformed into a prayer of redemption through the saving blood of Christ. In other words, hey, may his blood be upon us and upon our children can mean, oh, Jesus, may your blood be upon us. May your saving, redeeming blood be upon us and upon our children and grandchildren 
and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. He recast the biblical illusion, and he did that a lot to finally bend things back to a more, even more beautiful understanding of Jesus. Now, why is music so important? There's something powerful. You had John over there preaching to, you know, I mean, sometimes Charles would preach to 1,000, 2,000 people, but John is out there continually preaching to five, to 10, to 15,000 people. He's starting bands and classes to societies. He's writing a voluminous amount of literature that they might read and consume and, and become holy as God is holy. I mean, John starts this movement. But when they get into their society meetings, they have opportunity to open up books and proclaim some of the finest poetry ever written, cast to tunes, and it is beautiful stuff that you could have a movement of God with a clear articulation of scripture out there and you can have music along with it. Now, this is the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. What we're trying to articulate here is Get some good music going in your life. And that may be some contemporary Christian music. I don't doubt it for a minute. But that's not nearly as deep as something like Charles Wesley's hymns. That's not nearly as deep as some Isaac Watts hymns. Uh, it's not nearly as deep as the metrical psalter that I use most every morning. And Charles Wesley knew it, and he intended to write things down that he hoped would be sung. He, I, I doubt he had any idea. It'd be sung well over 200 years later, well over 200 years later. But he thought music is indeed powerful, and he published one day in 1749 something called Hymns and Sacred Poems. And the first five of the original seven verses of this particular hymn basically is asking the question... <laughs> Why should the devil have all the good music? And, and by the way, we, we, we've spoken of Larry Norman. One of my favorite Larry Norman songs is, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? But this, this is what uh, Charles Wesley asked. We're not going to go through all, we're just going to go over the first one of these verses. And, and here it is. Listed into the cause of sin, why should a good be evil? That's music. Music, alas, too long has been pressed to obey the devil, drunken or lewd, or light the lay, flowed to the soul's undoing, widened and strewed with followers the way down to eternal ruin. He says quite clearly there, music can take you straight to hell. Or music, if it is rich enough, biblical enough, theological enough could lift a soul up to heaven. They say, hell, come on, it's just music. Well, they called uh, Wesley the poet laureate of early Methodism because he began to give poetical expression to the hopes and the aspirations and the experiences of the movement, but more than that, to the biblical understanding and the theological thrust of the movement. He considered music to be a gift from God, and he tirelessly made the most of it. And that's exactly what serious disciples today will do. Let's consider music to be a gift from God, and let us tirelessly make the most of it. And one of the places you could do that is in your discipleship processes, 
As a group, sing, but sing good things. Sing deep things. Sing things that will lead you to Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension and his, in Acts 2, coming fresh and by the Spirit into the lives of men and women, boys and girls, that the Great Commission might be fulfilled. Oh, y'all, this is a great book. Assist Me to Proclaim, written by John Tyson, The Life and Hymns of Charles Wesley. Uh, it, it was just amazing because it got me thinking today about music. And music I've always loved, ever since I was a little kid. Love music, love singing. But I want to make sure every day that I'm listening to good stuff that leads me to Jesus. I want to make sure that every day I'm singing, yeah, with this voice, this pitiful voice of mine, I'm singing music that lifts up Jesus in my heart, in my mind, in my imagination for the glory of God and the fulfillment of the great commandments, even today, and the great commission. <laughs> we intend to go with that great commission to, my friends, the nations. Check out 5 Discipleship. Dot com And this today is a wrap. It's been an honor to have you listen to Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedman. So make sure to check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship. Make sure to go to Amazon.com and check out those books, right? Uh, 5Q Discipleship and the new Discipleship in the Home. And always, always tell others about our podcast. Remember this. My wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast today. Love God. Live clean. Keep the faith. Make disciples. And God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. <laughs>